The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Good morning. How you doing? Yeah, it's better. Got a new mug. Like this? Like, yeah, I'm going to need you to come in tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> Now, there's nothing in it. I don't drink coffee. But uh, these are our new Creek mugs. And uh, we don't guilt you into serving, but I'm not above bribing you. But uh, this is what all of, we're giving all of our volunteers here at the Creek. So uh, as a thank you, I love it. It's a great mug. Um, I'll drink something out of it at home. Cold water. Nice cold water. Tea. I'm going to put it right here, though. Josh just got mugged. I got him. I, all morning, man. I, all morning. I got him. I got them. So anyway, I'm Pastor Matt. Before you decide to leave, my jokes are better than that most of the time. But if this is your first time, as Trinity said, there's a guest card in that uh, pocket in front of you. If you'd fill that out, put that in the giving stations on your way out. Uh, We would love to start a conversation with you, get some dialogue going about who we are, why we do what we do, what God's called us to do, and, and how God brings us together to do what he's called all of us to do in our community and in the world. And I uh, also want to thank you, Creek family, for being faithful with your tithes and, and offerings. And uh, you saw some of the fruit of that. Actually, we're sitting in the, in the fruit of that and God's obedience and what he calls us to do. But uh, this week we started the gravel on the parking lot. So it was awesome. Um, and they didn't get it finished because of the rain, but it'll be ready and in by Christmas Eve. And so ladies, you don't, we're not asking ladies to park there because um, I've never worn high heels, have no intention of ever wearing high heels. But uh, I was given some good advice and coaching from Heather that uh, it wouldn't be easy for a woman in high heels to walk through that. So uh, ladies, we're asking you to wear flats. And uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. If you can walk in them, you can wear them. That's whatever you want to do. They'd look uncomfortable, by the way, but we all do those things for beauty. But hey, I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. Uh, This is our fifth Christmas. We've got uh, services at two and four. I'm looking forward to that. It's just kind of family. It's family style. Uh, nothing crazy. We're not going to come in, in here and be all high stress. It's low stress. So we just want to come in and kind of refocus and, and, and get just, man, just get centered on what Christmas is all about because we're getting ready to go into that time of unwrapping gifts and, and, uh, flinging presents and paper around, and I know, I know emotions can be all over the page at Christmas, but we want to spend some time in here just really focusing in on, on what Christmas is all about, and his name is Jesus, and um, thank you for those that, that signed up to serve for Christmas Eve. Um, there's a training at 3 o'clock today uh, here, and we will walk you through everything. also want to say thank you for um, all of you who bought gifts and did everything with Northbrook. We got to do the delivery this week. You saw Jenna Muller. Jenna's a teacher at Northbrook. And um, she has been, we've been working with her in Northbrook for several years now. And, and let me tell you what one of my favorite parts about that evening is. Uh, this last Wednesday evening, trailer pulls up and we unload all the gift bags. And we line them up in the gym and, and the organization of this thing is impeccable. That's how you know I wasn't involved with it. But I walked in and it was just incredibly organized. And families would come in and they would, they would pick up their gifts. Most of them were the moms. There was a few dads that came in. But let me tell you what, what I saw. Moms coming in completely stressed out. That, you know that feeling. I mean, it's, it's a couple days before Christmas, and I've only bought one present. So I'm feeling some of that tension, but not on that level that these moms were. It's not just, I haven't started. I haven't the means to start. 
And when they walked in, and I don't know what they were expecting, but when, when the kids were carrying out the bags and they were bringing those huge bags full of gifts, the face, the look on their face, it just melted. And at least for one moment, well, for one moment, there was a, there was a relief of stress. And for me, that was incredible to see. And to hear the, the gratitude when they were, they were leaving and, and, and just thanking us. You know, all we did was do what God's called us to do. So thank you for that. I, I love doing that. We will never stop doing that. Um, I love giving into our community, and I love, I love being able to, to watch faces that, that have that stress, to have at least that moment of hope. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Craig, for your generosity. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 2. If uh, you don't have one, we have some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. And uh, if you have a smartphone, tablet, anything like that, that you can get on the, the internet, then uh, version is a free Bible app that you can find us on. I'm sorry, I'm just looking down. We have the messiest group of people in the world here. There's mud all over the stage. Um, it's raining. Out. It's been raining all week. Welcome to Texas. You know, we haven't been in a drought or anything. But Romans chapter 2, and uh, the last several weeks have been heavy. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans, and to be honest with you, um, I love going verse by verse through books of the Bible. Here's why. It keeps us accountable to the context. If you've been at the creek for any amount of time, you've heard me say that context is king. It's easy for us to try to pull a verse out of Scripture and go, well, I think this can fit my life, and uh, I'm going I'm to make this fit my life. We're called when we approach Scripture and we study it and we're challenged by it, it's for our lives to be changed in the Scripture. And I love teaching verse by verse because the context is key. And, and here's the other thing it does for us as, as pastors and teachers of the Word. It keeps us accountable to teach the whole counsel of God. And if you've been here the last several weeks, you understand that means even working through difficult passages. Romans doesn't start out easy. I mean, we've been, we titled the series In the Dark for a Purpose. I mean, because Paul opens it up and he says, here's the gospel. The gospel is what connects us. The gospel is Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's what connects us. And so he's writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. And he's opening up like, hey, how's it going? I mean, we're all connected by the gospel. We've got this. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. Now we're going to talk. And it's going to get real tough. And then Paul launches in and he, he goes through some, some difficult things. And what he's doing is he's saying, you need to understand how difficult a situation of holiness is without Jesus. You need to understand that you cannot attain righteousness without the cross. You need to understand how dark your life, how dark my life, how dark our lives are without the light of Christ shining in and forgiving and cleansing and transforming us into something new. And so Paul sets up the argument. I call this the seedbed for the rest of the book because what's going to happen is he's going to say, here's how dark it is. Now here's Jesus. And here's righteousness. And here's holiness. And here's how to live in light of his righteousness and his holiness. Here's how to live as people who were so dark that had been transformed by the light of Christ, by the sacrifice of Jesus on glory, and he has crucified you with him. And so here's what it's like to live this new life. But Paul goes through this difficult parts of setting up this argument, setting up the, the reality of the situation. And, and here's what I love about Scripture. Even though it's, it's, it's heavy and it's heady, 
and it's, it's difficult to work through. I mean, this isn't the fluffy, you know, passages. We're getting into the meat and taters here. But what I love about it is even through this, Jesus is made clear. Our purpose, our goal, every time we gather is to love you and make Jesus clear. And I'm convinced that, that no matter what passage you read in Scripture, it will make Jesus clear and point to his glory, his goodness, and his honor. Everything in the Old Testament is saying he's coming. The Gospels, he's here. And everything after the Gospel, here's how we live in light of what he did. And I think everything points to Jesus. Someone asked me if I could summarize the book in three words. Can you summarize the Bible in three words? Yes, I can. Jesus is Lord. Every word, every dot, every T that's crossed, every dot of the I, every period, every comma, every letter, Jesus is Lord. And this all points to him and a relationship with him. And so that's why we study it. And, and, and as we move through this and making Jesus clear, one of the things I really want to work through today is um, what Paul's going to address with the, the Christians in Rome. He's actually going to address the Jews in Rome. And uh, I think this is going to hit with us because when we study this, we need to study what he's saying to the original audience. The original audience is Christians living in Rome in the first century. And then we've got to, to, to go from there and say, what is the truth that he's teaching and how do we live in light of that truth? What does that, how does that transform our life? And, and one of the things he really hits today is relationship over religion. Um, and, and here's what I've, here's what I've learned. I, I, I moved to Texas in 1989 and this is a very religious culture. I mean, it's the buckle of the Bible belt and, and, and especially this time of year, we see that, that religiosity. I like to call it religiosity. We see that played out even more as we go through Christmas. Yes, it's Christmas. It's holidays, but it's Christmas in my house. And I go through the store and I say, Merry Christmas. And I don't know if they've been trained to say happy holidays or whatever. I know some people get on the soapbox and go, they're just trying to kill Christmas. Can I tell you this? You will never take Jesus out. Not even the enemy can take Jesus out. So I say Merry Christmas. And it's fun when I go to the store because I say Merry Christmas. And you can see their face light up, you know, because they, uh, they might have been trained to say happy holidays. But they look at you and they just beam. And they're like, Merry Christmas. And don't say it in a hurried way. I like to slow down and look at them and say, Merry Christmas. And this is the face, this Merry Christmas back. I love it. That's one of the things I love. But we, I mean, we have a lot of, of religiosity in our culture. We have a lot of things we do in the church that really become religiosity and religion, and we miss a relationship with Jesus. I mean, some of the things we do. Uh, here, here's, what, here's what baffles me. It is, we can, we can have a gathering call it church, and be completely void of the Holy Spirit. We live in a culture that we can, we can manufacture enough emotion and feeling and, and, and manipulation that we can, we can do this all without God. But let me tell you what I would rather do. I'd rather come in here and celebrate a relationship and not work through let's do this at this time and say this at this time. And man, let's just spend time with our dad. Let's spend time with our Father. And here's what, I, here's what I've seen. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting time of year. It's my favorite time of year. But here's what I understand about Christmas. As much as it brings me joy and excitement, I know for, for many people, even people, I talked to people after the first service this morning, that this is a tough season. 
I said in the first service that this might be the first Christmas without a loved one. Talked with the family that this is their fifth Christmas without a loved one and it's still difficult. This might be the first Christmas after the divorce or after losing a connection and relationship with a family member or a child. And I know just as much as I'm excited and joyful about Christmas, I know that it can bring a lot of emotion and stress on you. Here's what I want to say is that, that a lot of times we try to dive into religion for that help. And when I say dive into religion, we try to dive into church without the relationship. You know, and I'm, I'm grateful you're here. And, and this is even how I kind of got reconnected with God of, you know, I just, things in life are a little bit difficult, so I need to go to church. Now, I, I was at the right place, but, but I was just there thinking, okay, this is going to get God off my back. And I was missing the relationship. Can I tell you, a religion will not save you. A religion will not fill the void. Christianity is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And his name is Jesus. And that's who desires a relationship with us. And Paul's going to work through this argument so beautifully to see where when we, and even in the first service I felt convicted because these are all kind of religion leads, religion leads, religion leads. And I want to counterbalance that. I wish I could change all of your notes right now. And instead of saying religion leads to this, it's relationship overcomes this. And here's what God has to say about religion. It's in James 1.27. They'll put it up here for you. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's the religion God says that we should, we should follow. Not, not the religion in the sense of let's put God in a box and try to get God to play by our rules. Because if you watch preschoolers, you see how, how man has taken religion and tried to work God into his box. Whoever's the biggest one in the sandbox sets the rules. And they determine when they want to take, what toy they want to take, and how they want to take it, and how long they're going to hold it, right? We've all been there. You remember the preschool days? If not, you got kids. You've seen them. You got grandkids. See, my kids are older, so I don't, I don't have to fight through that anymore. I'll, I'll watch my kids. I'll make fun of my kids when, when my grandkids, long time away, though, long time away. My baby girl's here today from Canada, Laura and her fiancé. I mean, I'm not going to spotlight them. They're somewhere in this room. <laughs> grandkids are down the road, but I'll make fun of them when, they're, when, they're, when my grandkids, their kids are fighting that preschool thing of mine, 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 mine. See, that's what religion will lead us to do. Relationship leads us to say, it, I, I want to be in this for us. And so Paul starts working into this. And uh, the, let's start here. Uh, chapter 2, we'll start verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you boast in the law? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, his, 
he's really speaking to the Jews in Rome. And the Jews are God's chosen people. And there was a tendency to rely on being chosen by God. You see, the Jews were who God called out of Egypt. The Jews were who God gave the Ten Commandments to. When, when you read the, the history of the Old Testament, it's about the nation of Israel. It's about the Jews. And it's about God leading them and revealing himself to the Jews first and to the world. And, and Jesus is born a Jew. And, and so Paul is kind of honing in because in, in chapter 1, it's, he's talking about here's the sin that's a problem. And then, then he moves into the Gentiles, that would be you and I, and, and he says, now he, here's the issue that we have, and now he's moving to the Jews because it's easy to sit back and say, I, I, I'm chosen. I'm good. I got it. But what Paul's saying here is that religion can lead to hypocr- hypocrisy. And, and w- what I would like to change in your notes is the counterbalance, that relationship with God can break us from hypocrisy. The number one reason that I hear when I invite people to church, and you may hear it too, it's not I'm busy. It's not, well, it's not really my thing. It's, it's full of hypocrites. And here's just what I, let me just, let me just say this. Sometimes we need to own up to that. Hypocrisy is this. It's us pretending to be something else. What Paul's saying is, is if you act like you're chosen, if you're teaching others but not teaching yourself, so if you're, if you're leading others but not filling your, yourself, you can't give what you don't have. If you're going to tell people, you, you can't, don't be idolaters, but yet you're robbing the temples and stealing the idols. If you're telling people do not commit adultery, that, yet that's what you're doing. He's saying what you're doing is it's hypocritical behavior. And that's going to lead us to live a double life. And that, that's what happens with religion, I've found, is we, we get into this mode of, of, God, just give me the steps to be a better person. Or, or we come to church and you look at me and go, Pastor Matt, give me the steps I can take this week to have a better life. Give me the steps from the Bible on how God's going to give me what I need. Help me to say the right things to God to get him to do what I want him to do. What what that leads to is, is help me to live life in a transactional relationship with the God of the universe. I do this, you do that, God. I do this, it obligates you to do that. God is not bound by anything. The only reason we have breath is because he gives it to us. The only reason we have anything is because he trusts us with it. And what, what Paul's saying is, is when you fall back into a religious mindset, when you've, when you've missed the relationship, you tend to think that because you do the right things, God is pleased with you. <clears throat> that when we say the right prayers, when we... When we, when we follow the rules, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not preaching against the rules. I'm preaching a relationship because what, what happens is I can't, I can't live up to the standard of God's word. I can't. So if you, if you want to convict me and say you're a hypocrite, here's what I've got to say. You're right. Because I can't live up to this all the time. But here's what I've got to say. I have to confess it before God that when I can't, I can't. And say, I need your help. 
not walk in with the front of going, no, it's, it's good. You do this. I don't know how to do it, and I haven't figured out how to live life this way, but you do it. That's not what we're called to do. And Paul's saying, be very careful because you can, you can get the checklist and miss Jesus. And, and he, he goes on in this to say uh, that, that religion leads to outward conformity. And I would say that relationship is, is inside transformation. This is where it's going to get uncomfortable. But I told you we're accountable to preach the whole word of God. And so uh, here we go. Verse 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who merely is one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but before God. Okay, I know I just made every guy in the room uncomfortable. But I've got your attention. What Paul is saying here is, is it's easy to feel haughty because you have the outward conformity that I've, I've got everything on the outside looking right. But inside, there's nothing. And what Paul's saying is it, it was customary for the Jews to circumcise their male children. And he's saying it's not about the physical act of circumcision that you follow. Because if you are circumcised and you sin, it's as though you're uncircumcised. Yet, the people who are uncircumcised, if they're willing to follow the precepts of God, it's though they're circumcised. And so what he's saying, get off of the physical hang-up. We're dealing with a heart issue. And when he's referring about circumcision in the heart, it's the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a believer to say, let's start cutting out these areas that don't look like Jesus. Because when we focus on outward conformity, we're going to miss out. Because we miss out on pursuing Christ. It's as though, um, let me give you an example. I don't have as much peace in my life. How do I get peace? Well, first of all, I've got to fake it till I make it. So I'm going to walk in here looking like I've got peace. I don't have any joy in my life. My life is void of joy. Everything feels like a beating. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm dealing with levels of depression I've never dealt with. I don't have joy. So here's what I've got to do. I've got to fake it till I make it. So I've got to express joy to the people around me. But I'm dying inside. I call this the gym mentality. When I walk in the gym, it's something about my gut. It just sucks itself in. I'm like... And my shoulders swell up. And I'm like, mm, here we go. It's time to do this. Trinity knows I work out with Trinity. Trinity does the same thing. I'm throwing you under the bus, man. He's like, mm. So we stretch, you know, we're stretching. And then we go over. And then it's like, we're, we're throwing weights like it's nothing, man. We're like, Ugh. You know, and then what? There's mirrors in the gym. Not to, for guys, not to see if you're doing the exercise right. It's when you're done, you're like, I mean, there are guys posing in front of the mirrors. I'm not going to say anything else after that. 
But you are sucking it because there's always somebody at the gym that's stronger than you, that's more fit than you. And, and you're just like that. I, I just feel out of place here. I'm coming here to get help. But there's these people who, who look better and are stronger and more fit than I am. So we walk in, we suck it in. Man, where's the 95s? Good. Going to the 20s. I'm working my way up, man. But then I get in the truck, and it's like, I'm like, oh, dear God, why do I do that? <laughs> I'm a, I told us in the first service, I'm going to do it. This week, we worked out legs. We worked out hard, and Kevin was with us, and uh, we rewarded ourselves. We went to breakfast after we worked out. <laughs> eggs, hash brown, I had sausage. I did wheat toast dry, so at least it's a little bit healthy, right? Kevin had bacon. <clears throat> He's not in here, is he? You didn't hear it from me. He posted it on Facebook. He put like a bacon Christmas tree on there. But, but that's the gym mentality. That's the outward conformity. You see, sadly, we're, we're like that with church. We walk into church. This is, this is a place where we can come and, and we should be ourselves. And we start looking around. There's people who have it more spiritually together than I do. There are people who are experiencing more peace than I am. There are people who are experiencing more joy than I am. What's the deal? Why do I go to this place and I feel like I have to spiritually suck in my gut and I can't be who I am? And you walk out and all of a sudden, and you start fighting with your wife. We got to talk, baby. You know, because you walk in, everything's fine. Praise God. Glory to God. It's just a beautiful day. You do. I do it. The deacon rock. It's like, Yeah. Yes, Lord. Everything is wonderful. And you get outside and you go, man, I am just dying. And I tell you that this is a safe place. This is a place that it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because this is a place where we come for help and for hope and for peace and for joy. But we don't pursue that on the outside. See, we pursue Christ. When I pursue healthy living, it leads me to the gym where I work on it. It leads me to exercise a better diet. When I pursue Christ, the outward things that I'm seeking, the joy, the peace, the patience, all the fruit of the Spirit, when I pursue Christ, all of a sudden there's something that happens. I start to pursue Him. And like, I want to be more like you, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, then let me cut some things out of your life that don't look like Jesus. Because what can happen is when I cut the anger out, there can be some peace that grows in. When I, when I cut the hate out, there can be love that blooms in. And so we focus on pursuing Christ, not an outward behavior. What we do outwardly is a result of who we are inwardly. So if the Holy Spirit is living and dwelling and breathing internally, then that's going to transform us to our behavior on the outside. And Paul's saying, it's not just about the outward appearance. And so then he, he goes on. And, and this is where it really gets real. Then what advantage has the Jew? Excuse me. Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. This is the truth of God. He says, look, I'm giving you my word. I'm revealing myself to you. And you are going to be responsible for it. What if some were unfaithful? 
Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So what he's saying is our unfaithfulness does not waver the, the faithfulness of God. When I can't live up to God's standard, it doesn't change God's standard. When I can't pursue Christ with everything within me, it doesn't mean that he stops pursuing me. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. What he's saying is we look at fairness. You see, religion will lead us to a distorted relationship with God. That we think, okay, if, if I'm unfaithful, then God's going to be unfaithful. Because we think of it, in, Paul says, I speak in human terms. We tend to exercise the baggage in our life and our relationships and our relationship with God. And so Paul's saying, your unrighteousness does not waver the righteousness of God. And your unfaithfulness does not waver the faithfulness of God. And then he goes in further into this. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Okay, let me, let me read this again. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? Here's what happens when we have a distorted relationship with God. It's actually really no relationship at all. We, we start to justify our behavior because he's getting glory anyway. If I'm unfaithful, he's still faithful. So why be faithful? If I'm unrighteous, he's still righteous, so why be righteous? If I lie, his truth abounds. If I do evil, God can take that evil and turn it for good. Look at Joseph. What you intended for evil, God turned for good. We're going to read several weeks down the road in Romans that God works all things together for good for those who love him. So regardless of what I do, God is God, God is righteous, God is faithful, God is just, and God is truth. And his glory abounds. Why not go on living my life? You see, this is where religion will lead us into a relationship, a distorted relationship that says I can live life any way I want and pray the prayer and I'm done. I know I'm getting ready to step on some toes here. But the question is this. Do you want to live as a righteous reflection of God or do you want to be absolved from guilt? You see, we love that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Because a Savior, He's taken away my sin. He's taken away my guilt. He's taken away my shame. He has secured my eternity forever in heaven. And that eternity, let me define eternity. It's not a timeline. It's a relationship. John 17, 3, Jesus said that they may know eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they know you and the one whom you sent. And so we like Jesus as Savior because eternity's buckled down. My sin's forgiven. It's been atoned for. It's been paid for. All my sin, past, present, future, Jesus is covered with his blood. So we love the Savior part, but the Lord part is difficult because for Jesus to be Lord, it calls us to sacrifice. 
For Jesus to be Lord of my life demands that I die and an inward transformation happens. It demands that I give up myself and to be born again into a new relationship as a new creation, as the righteousness of God. And what I've learned about a relationship with God or relationships in general is healthy relationships lead us to honor the other person, not abuse grace. Heather, trust me. And I've had to earn that trust. And I've done things in our marriage that, that are, I'll, I'll just admit are stupid. But she trusts me to go to Cabela's again. I went yesterday. And I don't, when I'm walking in, I'm like, I don't want to break trust. I don't want to abuse that grace. She's going to give me grace. She's going to, she's going to give me grace. If, she, if grace abounds, why not sin all the more? Because I see something I really want. No, no, no. That little devil on the shoulder. I done fallen that before. You're on the way home going, I cannot return this and I've got to face my wife. The healthy relationships lead us to trust, to grace, and we want to honor and respect the person we're in a relationship. And what, I've, what I see through this and what I see with a lot of, lot of us, and I, I fall into this too, because I'm, there are times that it's just like, God, it would just be so easy if you just give me the checklist. But I'm reminded that Jesus wasn't born to bring us religion. He was born to bring a relationship. And in the most humble way, he was born in a manger. And the gospel that Paul says connects us at the beginning of the book of Romans starts with God in the flesh. And he came so that we might have life, that we might have life abundantly, that we might have a relationship, a relationship that drives us, a transformation so deep inside of us that from everything we do in life stems out as a result of what he's done and who he is. He is both Lord and Savior. I want you to stand and we're gonna, we're gonna pray. And if you would, as you stand, just go ahead and bow your heads. It's, it's not obedience to a religious system that Jesus wants. He wants to make you completely new. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring hope. He wants to bring peace. And this is a time of year that I know it's hectic. For some of you, this is dreadful and stressful. But this is the time of year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus because of the relationship. And I want to extend to you that opportunity that maybe, regardless of what the season is bringing right now, Jesus stands ready to be new in you. And as he told Nicodemus that spirit gives birth to spirit, that you will be reborn a new creation. And he will begin the process of reconciling and healing and restoring. And it may not happen overnight, but I can tell you this, as you pursue Christ, you will start to live as a new creation and things in your life will start to fall away. 
And I'm going to pray for you. When I start praying, our prayer team is going to come up. And we're going to sing this song, Bless the Lord, on my soul. 10,000 reasons. And I don't want you to miss an opportunity to let someone pray for you. And, and maybe if this is a moment in your life that you're like, I, I need a relationship. Religion has left me empty. I need a relationship, and I need that now. They stand ready to pray for you. This is a place you don't have to walk up to this altar and suck in your spiritual gut. You walk up and be who you are. And I can tell you this, that the God of the universe will wrap his arms around you and he will say, welcome home. I love you. Let's live this life. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace, for your peace, for your mercy, for the cross, for the manger for relationship. May we know it. May we be transformed by it. Father, give us the courage to reach out to you and say, Jesus, help me. I pray for some in this room that today marks the beginning of a new pursuit, not of outward conformity, not of a checklist, but a new pursuit of you, Jesus. Thank you for coming into our life to make us new. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.